0: This is Dr. Eric Morrow. Welcome to this week's edition of On Politics. We're glad you could join us uh, for another show, another week uh, to uh, talk about, especially in the the last few weeks, we've had an intense focus on the impact of the COVID-19 crisis across a number of areas, public education, uh, uh, economics, as we we had uh, Jeff Sanford and Bill Leverton on here a few weeks ago and then also public health, looking at the challenges and issues and, and dynamics that are happening in those areas. And so this week, we, we turn to uh, the political sphere. Of course, that's a lot about what the show is about, but we look at a lot about policy and how some of these issues uh, impact things that at times we think we are familiar with. But this week, our focus really turns to the primary process in Texas Uh, Here we have a general election cycle. We've already had our uh, state primary, uh, but there's been other things that have happened here. We have runoffs delayed. We have uh, a convention uh, that has been moved uh, for the Republican party of Texas. And, and so one of the points that we need to look at or areas that we need to look at is really understanding the impact that uh, this pandemic has had, but then how is that being accommodated and how, Uh, Are these issues being addressed so that we can move forward with a critical general election process? Uh, And so we are uh, very excited today to welcome the state chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, uh, James Dickey, uh, to the show uh, to talk about that, to talk a little bit about what the primary process is, because uh, having taught uh, college students for a number of years and seeing how uh, little they understand about, sometimes even what a primary is, uh, this, this is a very uh, interesting and engaging process over a period of time that leads uh, to uh, a state convention and then to uh, the, the national conventions and a general election. And, and I think it's important that all of us understand this, but then we also understand what, what challenges we're seeing right now uh, in the general election. Uh, Chairman Dickey, we're glad to have you with us today.
1: It is my pleasure to be with you, Dr. Morrow, and, and uh, my pleasure to uh, talk to the Tarleton community and uh, at, and the radio community at large. There. Well, thank you. We well, I, I was looking through this and
0: and see your your background and experience not only uh, in. Uh, business and uh, being a graduate of, of Baylor University with uh, your business admin degree. So a, a strong connection there. As uh, Baylor was my home for, for a long period of time, uh, yeah. but also just uh, the, the work that you've done, uh, the experience that you bring uh, to a very, uh, a very interesting uh, and engaging area of our political process. Uh, and, and I say that because I teach about political parties and, and discuss the the challenges in the public policy process of, of your, what we would say, a non-institutional actor and, 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 and how all these things influence the, the outcomes that we get. Uh, but you're in a very unique position here, uh, especially in this crisis uh, and, and to see how the the challenges and the issues are, are all working together here. But before we, we really look at that, would you offer us a, a a little bit of an overview of how this primary process works and how that that leads through uh, a selection of candidates by the party uh, to then put forward on the ballot for a general election, but then also that impact on the national
1: uh, conventions as well prior to the uh, general election absolutely so first i'd I'd like to say that the whole reason i am in this job the reason why i am serving as chairman of the republican party of texas is because i fell in love about 12 years ago with the amount of impact that an average citizen in texas can have in the republican party of texas we are i talked to my peers from other state chairs from all over the country i talked to my counterparts at the democrat party and there is no other political party in the country that is as grassroots driven, as bottom up as the Republican Party of Texas. And what's so, uh, what is consistent about political parties is, it's a high leverage point. We are a private entity uh, private association that has a big impact on the general election. The the nominees of the two parties are much more likely to win most races than a, an independent nominee, um, but we, we're able to impact that and be support and be effective. So I love that we are a real big leverage point, and in Texas, in the Republican Party in particular, a leverage point that any involved citizen can make a big difference, and so the way we do it are a couple of couple of big, big ways. The first is in candidate uh, selection and nomination, and that can vary by party, and that can vary by state. So some states have caucuses where people get together and those are caucuses is just a different word for a convention. That is where uh, people people in the room negotiate and, and argue and debate and then come up with a nominee. Uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah is a Republican nominee from Utah because of convention activities that happened in, in Utah. Uh, and of course, everybody's aware or probably hears every four years about the Iowa caucus and the impact that has on the presidential race. Well, all of those are just different ways that parties can choose their nominee. Most states, most parties, have gone to a primary model. And what it is, is you, you test run people through a public process of people who, are, who, are, who identify themselves with a party, get to pick who the nominee is for that party. And so that's what the primary election is. It is the first election, the primary election is the first election and it's the one where it's separated out by party where the parties choose who their nominee is. And it makes sense for a lot of reasons. It gives you a test run, it gets the broadest impact. It's it's basically a, you know, a giant poll because it's all the voters who want to be associated in your party. Texas has a semi-open process. When you register to vote, you don't register saying, I'm, ge- I'm registering as a Democrat. You don't register saying, I'm registering as a Republican. In Texas, we believe your actions matter more than, than your word. And so the, uh, the action of voting in the primary for one party or the other, that's what identifies you as being associated with for that cycle, the Republican or Democrat priority. So any registered voter in Texas who wants to be associated with choosing the Republican nominee can vote in the primary, in the Republican primary and help us choose our nominees. Well, that was back in March 3rd. We had our primary nomination. And before that, we recruited and trained candidates and encouraged people to file. That filing period was November through December. December 9th, the filing period ended. Then they had from December 9th to March 3rd to campaign. And the early voting started a couple weeks before that. So they really had till mid February to campaign and then turn out their voters in March. March 3rd, most of our nominees were picked for the November ballot based on filing back last November. So being a candidate is, in Texas in general, at least a year long process. No matter, Even for the jobs that get reelected every two years, it's at least a year long process to file, to run in the primary, to win in the primary, and then to run again in the general. Um, we do have the primary runoff. Now the primary runoff was scheduled to happen uh, already, but because of the coronavirus, it got delayed. So the primary runoff is now going to be July 14th. And so in the races where there were multiple candidates and no one could get 50% plus one for to be our nominee in the November election, we won't know who that nominee is until mid-July. Then uh, while we're doing that, we also have our convention process. And our convention process is where we elect not our nominees for the ballot in November, but where we elect our convention delegates and we elect the presidential electors. There are a lot of people who, it's easy to forget that that popular vote you cast isn't what actually elects the president, it's the electoral college that elects the president. And in Texas, if the Republican candidate for president wins the majority of votes in the November general election, it is presidential electors who are elected at the state convention of the Republican party who end up casting that vote. And so in this last election, it was pretty exciting and, and, uh, and news making because we had our presidential electors and we actually had a couple of what's called faithless electors who, uh, who didn't vote for either of the candidates who were on the ballot. So, uh, it's The convention process is great, and any registered voter, as long as they didn't participate in the Democrat primary, as long as they didn't participate in the Libertarian Party's convention or the Green Party's convention, as long as they haven't participated in another party's actions already, they can vote in our primary runoff and they can participate in our convention. So
0: so we're speaking today with uh, Chairman James Dickey of the Republican Party of Texas and uh, uh, Chairman Dickey, uh, you know, you talked about the delays already in the, in the runoffs. uh, uh, The state convention has been moved as well. Uh, uh, Before we kind of look at that and moving forward, what what are some of the other challenges uh, that you've seen in this process uh, related to this pandemic? I mean, I, I mean, one of them has to be campaigning. I mean, the-, the Absolutely, that, That's, that is the
1: biggest impact and that, mm-hmm. that has hit everybody. Certainly that hit people who were running in the primary runoff. Uh, they were looking forward to being the party's nominee by the end of May. And instead, mm-hmm. they won't be the party's nominee until mid-July. In the meantime, they gotta, they've gotta win that election to be the party's nominee and they can't be out door knocking. I mean, we've done a lot of research and the most impactful thing to turning out voters and persuading voters is to have a conversation in person. Well, obviously, right now, very few of us are having any conversations in person, certainly with not any conversations with strangers. And so right. all of our campaigning activity at the party and what we've suggested, what we've suggested for candidates is two things. One, they should be actively out serving in their community. And Two, if they are current incumbents, they need to be working on their official duties to respond to the coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, the president's doing the right thing, laser focused on on the pandemic, the governor's doing the right thing, laser focused on the pandemic. The candidates, uh, we strongly encourage them to be involved in community engagement right now, community outreach right now. And in fact, this week happens to be RPT Serves Week. We have an RPT Serves initiative that is um, service to the community. And whether that be uh, donating blood to blood banks, which are in desperate need, whether it's helping food banks distribute food uh, or donating food to food banks, whether it's um, uh, just reaching out to friends and neighbors, especially the elderly who are most at risk right now and need to not be out, whether it's helping deliver food to them, whether it's uh, reaching out for the uh, crisis pregnancy centers for the for the for the mothers who are in desperate need right now, we're encouraging people through that RPT serves to be really active, and we're of course helping promote those activities because we want we want there to be a lot more of that. So we're promoting and encouraging that. But in terms of straight up campaigning, uh, we turned on a dime. Within 24 hours, we had changed all of our in person activities. To being on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so for the month, I don't know, the final numbers yet for the month of April, but it looks like we will have done something like 125,000 phone voter contacts during the month of April. And it's just, it's amazing because we, we've looked back and we can't find Uh, 2018 there was no month even at the peak of the election where we had done that many phone contacts and same with 2016 there wasn't but all of our campaigns all of our efforts have switched completely to being on the phone and it's um, it's the connect rates have gone up a little bit the certainly the volunteer time has gone up it's been a good way for us to respond because we we can't stop because November is coming whether no matter what happens with coronavirus. The the November election still coming.
0: Well with that engagement with the electorate uh, have you noticed any uh, really disengagement? I mean we see on the news we know that the news cycle if it wasn't another major issue would be dominated by election news uh, especially as we move into the summer months and we move through state conventions and into the national conventions uh, whereas now it's it's uh, coronavirus it's states opening trying to look at plans to open back up and so really in the news cycle the election has been pushed to second or maybe even a distant third in in the, the kinds of discussion that's going on out there I didn't know with with your contact with with grassroots as, as the the party is, what what you're seeing or sensing out there is that this is this still a priority well
1: and that's the thing in in texas there's a very clear calendar a, a political calendar and typically what we would have been doing right now is uh we'd be laser focused on the primary runoff which was going to be the end of may so we'd have been focused on on managing that at the primary. We're we're the ones legally responsible for managing the primary election. So we'd be recruiting election workers and training them. We'd be uh, helping campaigns get ready for that election, and we would be doing voter persuasion. So that's the uh, voter ID and persuasion. We'd be reaching out to voters where. Uh, We believe they're persuadable one way or the other, and we'd be making the case that they really ought to be uh, supporting our side. And we'd be doing that in person because we know that's the most impactful. And then uh, we would also be working on uh, um, uh, improving our data, right? Well, we're still doing that voter persuasion and voter data. We've also, we've been doing our biggest ever voter registration effort, where we've registered 80,170 new Texas voters through the party's volunteers over the last few months. We're continuing to do that, but we're doing it all via phone. There was a big initiative to do that in person that had to shut down for obvious reasons because of this. Um, but we're, we've, so we've moved our activity. We're not worried about the runoff right now because it got delayed to July, so we'll delay that activity. But our voter ID, our voter persuasion, um, our voter registration, all of those efforts have continued. They've just gone completely to mail and phone instead of in mm-hmm. person.
0: So, so looking ahead to the convention, which is a critical step in this process for the national election, it is. Uh, we, we've seen, I think, the the Democratic Party nationally is looking at a virtual convention, or have already made that decision. Another national Republican Party has not as of yet. Yep. Uh, how is that on the state level in in the process? And I know I'm not asking for a decision here, uh, breaking sure. news or whatever, yeah, but I'm no. more of like their process of evaluating what's the Absolutely. best way to go forward. With we've
1: been we've been politics. working through this a lot, and the and the Texas state Republican convention is the biggest political convention, not just in Texas and not just Mm -hmm. in the country, but in the free world, we have 9,000 delegates and up to 9,000 alternates who are allowed to come to our convention. It's massive. For for perspective, the National Republican Convention has 2,500 delegates and 2,500 alternates. So we are more than triple the size, nearly four times the size, the National Convention for our convention. It is a Huge production, a huge effort. And the reason why we go through the effort is not because we we love big conventions, but because we are driven to have that grassroots up, bottom up process in Texas. We're dedicated to that. That's why we have the big convention. And the road to the convention starts with county and senate district conventions. So in most counties in Texas, uh, that whole county is represented by a single state senator. So we have 31 state senators for the entire state. We have 254 counties. So in most counties, they have a single state senator. Some of the uh, urban counties have multiple state senators. So for example, I used to be the county chair in Travis County, and we had four state senators who had a piece of Travis County. In a county like that, we have different Senate districts, uh, conventions that we have all, all over the county. Those conventions can have anywhere from 10 people at them to 700 people at, at them. And those conventions by law were all originally set to be on March 21st. And so that obviously was a ter- would have been a terrible day to do it. So uh, March 12th, 13th, we re- when we realized things were shutting down and CDC came out with their guidance of not having groups of more than 10 together, um, we were gonna have 287 of these conventions around the state on March 21st. And so we moved all of those, we gave them a window of up till June. We were able to do that because our convention had already been, at our convention had been planned for mid-May, we moved it to mid-July. now. It was, frankly, it was nearly miraculous that we were able to do that. Uh, It took a lot of work, but we only had a six-week window when we could have moved our convention to, and it turned out that the convention center that we had had to book three years in advance had one of those weeks available. And so we were able to move into that and we were able to negotiate a deal. they worked with us really well. And so it didn't incur increased costs. We were able to still have all the meeting rooms. And so it was really miraculous. We were able to move our state convention and it just so happens to be the same week that the primary runoff's move into. But we were able to do that because the national convention had always been planned for late August. Now, on the Democrat side, they had a much tougher road to hoe because they had planned their convention for June, their national convention for June, which meant all their state activity had to happen earlier and all that. Uh, we were lucky that we had the, the August deal. Now that said, there were still there were some national deadlines that were in the middle of June, and by moving our convention from mid-May to mid-July, we. We blew through those deadlines, mm-hmm. so we had to get all sorts of special permission from the Republican National Committee to waive the penalties that normally would come with uh, with a, a rules violation like that, because um, obvious for obvious reasons they don't want changes in election year. And I, let me let me let me give people the big picture why right. this whole convention process leads to electing our delegates to our national convention. I told you there there's 2,500 total delegates at the national convention, Texas alone sends 155 of those Mm 2,500. We, we matter. We have a big impact on that convention. And that convention is where we actually, where the party elects our representative for the November election. It's not, based on our nominee is not, our party's nominee for president is not directly based on each of the primaries. Those primaries win delegates, those delegates elect the nomination. And so that national convention matters because that national convention vote is where we officially choose our nominee for president. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have that convention, we have to have those votes, our delegates to the convention matter, and our state convention is where we elect those delegates to the to the national convention. So our convention process matters because it ends up nominating the president, and not only that, but then at our state convention we actually elect again very much grassroots up, We elect our presidential electors, who are the people who cast the actual presidential ballot, and so everything around electing the president depends on us doing our convention process and doing it right so we had to when we moved we had, we had we had deadlines to worry about we had rules to worry about we had to make sure we dotted every i and crossed every t and the last bit frankly in dotting those i's and crossing those t's is an in-person meeting of our state republican executive committee that's going to meet um in weatherford on this saturday where we're going to make official the the date change the delegate allocation change the other things we had to do so that this process can go on and so the it the stakes are huge the the presidency is at stake for us to do this right and the input is massive again that's that's why i love our party we are absolutely grassroots up and and have a big impact
0: so we're speaking with State Chairman James Dickey of the Republican Party of Texas, talking about the challenges of this primary convention process and all of the different working parts, which I think is so critical for us to understand. This is not, as we said uh, and, and discussed, it's, it's not just a couple of elections here. There's so much that happens in getting input and getting people involved. Uh, This a lot of the things that have come up here recently now as we're turning into the summer is looking at that November general election, and that aligning with the challenges of the the pandemic, the 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 unknowns, and and in a state the size of Texas, you know, in my classes I've talked about. Uh, we look at alternative ways of voting, and we look at some states that do uh, mail-in voting, and, and then, of course, you're looking at states that are sometimes a fifth or sixth the size of Texas. Uh, so, in last week, I, I gave a little bit of attention to this on, on our show, but in, in your position, you you probably are maybe engaged in some of those, in, in listening and seeing what are some of the things that that, that may have an impact on that general election and how we do it. So we're thinking about what if we have social distancing issues or there is another wave of this. I mean, is some of that going into any discussions that that you're familiar with about how do we adapt and moving forward with a critical general election in a, in a time like this?
1: Yeah, and you're right, this matters. And you're also right that Texas is materially different purely because of scale. Uh, One of the things I frequently talk about in the six years between the 2012 primary and the November 18 general election, we added 2.7 million new registered voters for perspective there are 26 states in the country that don't have 2.7 million registered voters we we added in fact the state of colorado doesn't have 2.7 million registered voters we added a colorado Mm -hmm. to texas in a six-year window and since then we've only added more so the scale is massive our our best estimates and we don't we're, we've actually got to figure out how it's going how it's going to change but before all this happened our best estimate was that in november the turnout was going to be around 11 million voters and for perspective the 2016 election was 8.9 million and the 2018 election which was massive for a gubernatorial election was about 8.7 so it's you know this is we're talking about adding a couple million more voters turning out in just a two-year window that's huge that's that's incredible and uh that also means of course to continue winning we have to add a million on our side which is which is a lot of work Mm uh fortunately we've added a lot of registered voters and we're doing all the work we need to do and people are really excited so So we we think that's going to happen. We don't know what all of this results going to be, but between that and the elimination of straight ticket voting, we were already figuring we were going to have to have more voting locations. We were going to have to have um, more preparation, more training. One of the things, and and a lot for more time. One of the things to keep in mind, though, Texas is not only unusual in the total number of voters. But Texas is unusual in that we have a full two-week voting period. And during that entire two-week voting period, any registered voter is allowed to come vote at any time for any reason during that entire two-week period. So a lot of places that have gone to um, more mail-in ballots, they're doing it because they don't have that kind of thing. We do. And already in some places, 50, 60% of people vote during that two week early period. Well, if you think about that, that means you still got about a third of the total turnout on a single day. So one of the things, you know, as, as we're talking to people, we, we're all figuring out how to, how to keep decent social distancing and how to practice better hygiene and how to, how to just, you know, be better at not spreading germs. If we figured all that out for the grocery store, we can figure all that out for voting as well. You know, the uh, voting is every bit as important as a run to the grocery store. And if I, I mean, I believe in the free market and I'm not surprised that private entities are faster at responding and better at responding mm-hmm. than bureaucracies. But the private sector will have figured out how to deal with this for months before we get to November. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't even have to figure it out. We just have to copy it. And right. so. Right. I think, that, I think the claims that in order to preserve democracy, and uh, it, by the way, we are a republic, not a democracy. Mm-hmm, right, right, <laughs> I, yes. <but laughs> in order to preserve the republic and our rights to vote, we have to upend everything uh, without thinking anything through, and regardless of the consequences and ignoring all the differences, um, it's just uh it's it's a sad attempt to make use of a crisis it's not it's an overreaction and a desire to avoid thinking things through and part of that is you know the nature of conservatism is uh, think very 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 hard about a change you make from a system that works and and so uh, i automatically resist my before we made the change in the date for primary runoff, the first day we talked about it, uh, my counterparts at the Democrat party, because we talked together, the governor was hoping that we would present a, a unified front and they can move forward on that front. Um, the very first day we talked about it, they didn't even want to talk about delaying the election. They wanted to talk about going to 100% mail-in ballots, just automatically mailing every voter who had voted in the primary uh, a primary runoff ballot. Well, no. Uh, you know, A, uh, you have to make all sorts of assumptions when you're doing that. B, you have to be willing for, you know, my parents' votes to be sitting in a mailbox somewhere um, and with no guarantee that it's actually them who ends up returning it. You know, right. uh, you know no. <laughs> there, right, right. There, there's a lot of good reasons that in Texas, we make it easy for people to vote. We, we have seen some increases, but the same people argue that 100% mail-in ballots, it's so much more convenient, therefore voter turnout will go through the roof. No, there's plenty of evidence that in fact, voter turnout hasn't gone through the roof in the places where they've gone to that. So one of the biggest arguments is provably false. So if, if your arguments are provably false, then you have no choice but then to start to reconsider the motives if, if the case being made for it is demonstrably wrong. Right.
0: Well, our approach on this show has been that people should be aware that, that there is going to be some impact. I think in your case, it, it when you're looking at polling sites and all of that, it may be that people need to be willing to volunteer uh, to help us conduct a general election when, yes. when in the midst of all of this. And, and so that, that's our approach has been talking about how you know, this Absolutely. is a fun, fundamental right that, that we need to exercise and we need to work together to figure out how to, to have a general election and not Absolutely. Not, uh, yeah, not postpone it or anything like that. I think the right. the challenges of that are much more significant.
1: Oh, absolutely. And in fact, the, the, uh, so every county has election officials. They've got an election mm-hmm. administrator and they've got the, uh, in Texas, the county clerk is the one responsible for the administration of the election. And that county clerk is an elected position. And so, uh, and the parties are involved and responsible for managing the primary. So as a, so as a former election judge, an election clerk, a county chair, the county chair is responsible for the primary in their county. I, I have personally, and the state chair, as state chair, I'm responsible for administering the statewide primary. Um, I have personally been involved in administering um, 16 different elections. So I, I know up close and personal uh, right. all the different details and we are, we are thinking through and talking through that. And I can guarantee you that the Secretary of State's office, the county election administrators, I mean, part of the pushback for this uh, desire to go to 100% mail-in ballots has come from elected Democrat election officials, county clerks and their mm-hmm. election administrators in the major urban areas who said no no that's that's not great and and not being able to go cast your vote that would be one kind of disenfranchisement having other people's votes stolen and fraudulently submitted that is also disenfranchisement Mm -hmm. and we have to protect against both and as those of us who care about the sanctity of the vote and the vote being protected the the right of the vote is only as good as its end result being validated mm-hmm. um, that it's the whole process that matters and and I'm convinced I just I just have a lot of faith in Texans uh, to to be able to implement this well I mean that's we had a lot of this same debate happened 10 years ago when voter ID was coming in And a lot of the arguments were, if you put in voter ID, you'll see turnout drop. If you put in voter ID, you'll see minority turnout drop. And we saw exactly the opposite. We have seen voter turnout increase every single election, and we've seen minority vote turnout increase every single election. So um, a lot of the fear mongering that goes on, I just, uh, I push back on that. The concern's a valid one, let's make sure and address the concern but we can do this. Yes, well, one,
0: one final question. I know you, you've got a busy schedule and this is a, a, a challenging time, but uh, 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 each convention that the, the parties have, uh, you adopt a platform and I'm, I'm ve- yes. very familiar with this because in my classes, I have students work on a policy issue and one of the research assignments is to go and look in the either state or national uh, uh, platform and see, uh, what the, the the policy focus is for that specific issue, and so coming up, uh, I'm sure that's on the docket again this year for this convention, as it is every convention. Yep. What just you know briefly, what do you see are some of the top issues? Uh, that are going forward on that platform for the party. I think that's that's critical. One to know people know that that parties do adopt platforms, and that's a very kind of clear indication of the policy approach Absolutely. that they're going to take in the next uh, state legislative cycle, or even on the national level. But what what do you see are some of the critical issues?
1: So first couple of quick things, Uh, we are absolutely grassroots driven. So I would encourage any of your listeners and any of your students, if there's an issue that they are passionate about, find out where the county or senate district convention is gonna be near you. And as long as you have not voted in another party's primary and participated in another party's convention process, come to the convention if you are a registered voter and and petition and, and campaign and advocate for that issue uh, because we are absolutely bottom up. We have a committee at state that uh, looks at all of the resolutions that come from every county convention, 287 of them, every one of them that is passed up. Uh, we look at which ones have gotten broad support and which ones have narrow support. And at the Republican Party of Texas, we have two uh, separate documents. We have our platform, which is I call it our reference manual. It is our mm-hmm. it is our dictionary, our of our encyclopedia of positions we have that are held officially. And we've got all sorts of uh, positions on all sorts of things. And every time a reporter calls me and says, "Hey, what's the party's position on?" the renegotiation of nafta i'll i will refer to the platform and find oh look we you know we believe firmly in free trade uh but we believe nafta needs to be renegotiated um and uh, and and so great that's our position and so I'll, i will then advocate for that position same during the session a bill comes up on something so nafta is a national issue but we have a lot of platform planks about uh, local and regional issues right so one of our one of our platform planks was uh, against the annexation of people without their vote without their consent so a bill came up that that was for the first time in Texas history preventing taxing entities from being able to annex you and your neighbors without a vote of you and your neighbors we went and testified on behalf of that bill because it's in our platform. That's our official position. We also have uh, five legislative priorities, and the convention can change up how many there are or what they are, Uh, but those five legislative priorities were for uh, pro-life, for religious freedom, for ending taxpayer-funded lobbying, uh, for constitutional carry, that kind of thing. And those kind of issues are still... The uh, I I I fully expect them to continue to be our top priorities, and uh, but we'll see. And the what's so beautiful about our party is we are bottom up. The it is the delegates at that convention this summer who will decide what those are. But all of those issues continue to be uh, front and center with everybody, and uh, we we continue to hear about those, and I'm I, I think we will.
0: Republican Party of Texas Chairman James Dickey, thank you so much. This has been very informative, and and uh, hopefully it helps our listeners to understand how this works, especially in the in the time frame, the crisis uh, that we're in, and, and knowing that uh, a lot of this, as you're saying, is engagement. It's about people knowing what's going on at the local level in terms of of party involvement and being engaged uh, and being able to uh, uh, participate in offering their views and, and supporting what they want to see government doing or not doing. Uh, as we address it in our classes, it's, it's both ways. You know, sometimes it's engaging with issues because there is either unique government to address something better or in a different way, or it's that maybe government is not a part of the equation uh, for an issue, But, but thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, and 100%. If you want to have a better than average impact, vote in November. If you want to have 20 times that impact, vote in the primary runoff. If you want to have 100 times that impact, participate in our conventions. It, your you can have you can quickly be in the top one percent of impact and i encourage every one of your listeners we would love to have you come on in be involved with the great republican party of the state of texas
0: thank you so much we're going to take a, a short break and we'll be back for more on politics <music>
1: T for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsey Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning
0: wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Politics can be confusing, but Cogliamaro have your back. Follow them on Facebook, search Coglia On Politics to stay up to date with the show and for all of the sources to follow right along. Coglia is a production of the Tarleton Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to On Politics. We want to thank again Chairman James Dickey of the Republican Party of Texas for joining us for that very informative interview uh, about the primary and convention process, but also the impact of the current uh, COVID-19 crisis. And we will look forward to, and we're working on this to have an interview next week uh, with a member of the leadership of the Democratic Party of Texas in order to hear how they're adjusting and adapting and and they've already moved to a virtual convention uh, in early June and so we want to talk about that and and how that works and how uh, they develop their agenda toward their platform, uh, but also the looking at the impact uh, in the election cycle uh, on the primary and convention process. So we'll look forward to that next week and looking at the two major parties in the state. But I do want to wrap up the show today, uh, getting back to uh, the impact and the types of information that we need to be looking at as the state begins to open up, as we've seen the governor now uh, remove some of the directives or restrictions that were on businesses. And what are the things that, that, planners, political leaders are looking at and what are the things that we need to be aware of in terms of expecting uh, what outcomes we may see in the weeks ahead and how we need to adapt and adjust to those. And so the the reopening measures are certainly important and those are being implemented slowly. Part of the reason for that is to see if there is a sharp rise, if, if, if the virus continues to spread if these measures either see numbers maintain or decrease or all of a sudden do we see a spike uh, in uh, infections uh, and hospitalizations and so on. So this is a very critical period I think over the next two weeks as we see people get out and engage and we're probably going to see all kinds of things. We're going to see people going about doing whatever they want to do where they want to do it Uh, without much concern for social distancing. And we're going to see people with a mask on who are out, who are trying to protect themselves and protect others. I think the thing here is that we've all got to be accepting of the different ways uh, that people are going to adjust and adapt to this in the weeks ahead, uh, not knowing really what is going to happen. And so I think that the decisions certainly are being made, as the governor said, based on hospitalizations based on the recovery rate in the state Uh, but this is something that's that's going to be very critical. Uh, One of the things that I watch uh, for the state if you haven't seen this already is that the Texas Health and Human Services Department uh, has a website that tracks the number of cases by county and you can look at this to see what's happening not just in terms of the cases but testing you can look at demographics uh, who's being impacted by this. Uh, it, they do keep track of fatalities. Uh, these are the areas that are going to be watched very closely in the weeks ahead, uh, just to see what the in, impact is going to be. H- how is this actually going to work? Can we, can we do this? Is it too early to start opening up the economy, getting people out and, and uh, uh, businesses open? Or do, is this, uh, in a timely way, is this going to work, at least for the short term, so that we can see uh, what, what really is going to happen, what, what can happen? Uh, so this is one thing that I encourage you to watch, to go on the Texas Department of State Health Services website. Uh, look at that watch the cases hospitalizations again this is this is the critical thing it's the impact on the healthcare system we know that this virus is going to be around we know that it's going to go through different uh, cycles and periods and we may see a resurgence of it in uh, the fall into winter in in the flu season but our critical concern uh, is how can we handle that how can we provide the medical care that people need if they contract the virus If we have a huge spike in cases, again, this is what we've talked about in weeks past, that stresses the system that we have and its ability to accommodate uh, the health needs of individuals and thus it becomes down to a decision of who who gets the healthcare and who doesn't. Uh, So this is one area, hospitalizations, the ability of our state infrastructure and it, it varies throughout the state. We are here in Stephenville in a rural area with a smaller hospital. Uh, A lot of things we depend on in the Metroplex and and other medical uh, care systems, uh, that may not be an option if there's a tremendous spike in cases in a metropolitan area uh, as well as in a rural area, and thus our our local hospital uh, is overwhelmed. And So this is the point we don't want to get to. We don't want to see what happened in New York and in other places happen uh, in Texas. So this is where the governor and others are looking at this, and this is the, the some of the things that we should be looking at and expecting in the, in over these next two weeks in a very, very critical uh, period. The second thing I think that we need to be aware of in terms of impact is the economy. So we already had the uh, sales tax report uh, come out on Friday uh, that showed that sales tax revenues Dropped by 9.3 percent in April compared to April a year ago, so a 10 percent drop, uh, which is significant. I mean, that is that for Texas, where we rely on about a third of our state revenue comes from sales tax, uh, that that is uh, significant. We're you know we're talking about several uh, you know almost three billion dollars here. Uh, in state revenue. Uh, this is just the beginning, really, of this, of seeing what the impact will be. The hope of our leaders, state officials, is that the economy will will ramp back up, and that's going to be slowly, so they know there's going to be some continued impact, but that, that ramping up and a, an ability to handle the impact of the virus Uh, will lead to then uh, uh, the possibility of limiting that economic impact over time. And so as we go into the summer months, state leaders are going to be looking at this and engaging with the numbers, trying to see, and and I would expect some decisions to come soon. Already there's been a request sent to the governor to cut state budgets by 5%. Uh, We could see an even more significant cut in this revenue cycle that may carry over into the next budget cycle, which is already set as well, because our state legislature won't meet again until the spring or until January of 2021. Uh, So uh, we can expect in terms of the economy a short-term impact. Yes, revenues will be down because of business closures, uh, because of impact on various industries. Uh, Budget cuts may be coming for this cycle. How that will lead into the next cycle at this point, we just don't know. We know there is going to be some impact. We're just not sure uh, how uh, significant. Uh, The other one I want to go back to uh, as an impact that we need to be looking at and just kind of wrap things up here. You know, I mentioned hospitalizations. We mentioned our healthcare system and how it handles all of this. Uh, Some of you may have seen news reports. Uh, There was a a Texas Tribune report out this week uh, regarding the impact on minorities. And this has been looked at in New York and in other places around the country where healthcare is not always as accessible uh, to, um, uh, to minorities, especially those who have a higher level of poverty, higher poverty rate. Uh, and as we've seen when we've looked at these numbers in Texas, especially you know, saw recently numbers I think came out in Fort Worth, uh, of the total confirmed cases in, the, in Tarrant County, 29% were Hispanic. 27% white, 17% black, and then 5% Asian Pacific Islander. Now where the focus has been, especially here in Texas, is on uh, African Americans and Hispanics. Uh, poverty rates are higher among these groups. Regular quality medical care is uh, uh, less uh, of uh, an option. And the then the response to something like this in terms of Getting the, the the care that they need in a in a, a sufficient manner uh, when this virus uh, is present is very challenging as well. And I think in Texas, with the high percentage of Hispanics that we have in the state, uh, in certain counties we have a higher African American po- percentage of a higher African American population. That this is a this is an area that we also need to watch. What is the the health impact? What is the the impact of infection and and even fatalities percentage-wise among uh, uh, different populations within the state. So these numbers, I think all all of these things are things we should be watching in the weeks ahead. Uh, I encourage you to stay in touch with your state and local news, the Texas Tribune online or uh, other regional newspapers like the Austin American Statesman, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. They all have special sections that are providing uh, daily updated information. Uh, that we should all stay informed about what's happening over the next few weeks uh, related to this virus. So I want to thank you for joining us today on politics. Uh, We look forward to having you each week uh, join us to hear quality interviews as well as updated information and resources uh, on the critical issues that are affecting you uh, right here on 90.5 FM KTRL Uh, I also want to let you know that we are available, the show's available, where you download your podcast, as well as on SoundCloud. And so you can tune in and listen anytime during the week or a time that's most convenient for you. But thank you for joining us each week. And we look forward to having you back next week uh, when we will have more information. Look again at the primary convention process focused on the Texas Democratic Party Uh, as well as look nationally at where we are uh, in this election cycle. Thank you again for joining us today.
1: Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from A.J. Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.